0: Hi, welcome to the Newbery Chronicles. I'm Michael,
1: and this is Rebecca,
0: and this is a podcast in which two readers, us, read through all of the Newbery Medal winners and then talk about it. Uh, This episode, we're in the 90s, and we're reading, uh, well, we already read, but we're reading the 1999 Newbery Award winner, published in 1998, Holes by Lewis Sacker. Um, but first, uh, just a few things. Don't forget to email us if you have feedback at newberrychronicles at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, we've already had one email, as we've mentioned before, our, our dedicated listener, my mom. And uh, we really appreciate that email. But uh, we'd love to see your other emails, too, because all the other emails have been spam about uh, how we should register our podcast on different podcasting services. So, um, yeah, that's... Uh, that's that. Um, Rebecca, I believe you're going to start us off, right?
1: Yeah, we're going to start out by just talking about the author, who is Zachary. Um, He actually did not start out, like many of our authors, did not start out with a career of writing.
0: Turns out writing is not a lucrative career. No,
1: it turns out that, yes, I won't make another comment about that, but he was born in 1954. He was... Um, went to UC Berkeley and graduated with a degree in economics. While he was there at Berkeley he um, started working at an elementary school to get college credit. And I
0: do like, hold on, I want to bust in real quick to give a direct quote from something he wrote about, are you going to talk about this? Go ahead. I think this is very charming, uh, but also sad. There was an elementary school girl handing out flyers on yes. campus at UC Berkeley begging for uh, teacher aides, which is how he got roped into it. And he apparently was getting like three hours of college credit for mm-hmm. just being an aide at the school.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you would like that, right? To have some more aides. <laughs> it would, I it would know, be nice, especially be if one of my
0: aides became an acclaimed children's author decades yeah. down the line.
1: But anyway, uh, his work there really inspired his Wayside School books um, that were also very popular. Um, after he graduated, he actually worked in the sweater factory. and In
0: Connecticut, by the way. Yet another author another connected to Connecticut. connection
1: to Connecticut. Um, he was fired from there, and his uh, his report on that is, my enthusiasm for sweaters was insufficient, which I thought was really funny. Um. but, you know, I read his bio, and then Michael's notes are very sparse, so there were other things I wanted to say about him, but they're not written down.
0: To- <laughs> you act as if that my notes were the <laughs> only anyway, thing that you could read. When
1: he was fired from the sweater company, um, he actually went back um, to school to study law, and he passed his bar, and he did do um, part-time legal work, um, for a while until his writing career really picked up. And he also loves to play bridge. So that's just a little on the author.
0: Yeah, he apparently goes around the country mm-hmm. um, playing bridge. And which,
1: he and his wife live in Austin, Texas now.
0: Yes, they've left Connecticut, the, the ensconcement of mm-hmm. children's authors, yeah. uh, to go to keep he, Austin weird.
1: He was also born in New York. Um, and I think he lived there till he was in third grade. I can't remember where he went from, from there. But um, yeah.
0: Have you High read guy. any of his books? Really funny.
1: I, I am pretty sure that I read Holes. We we had this conversation like oh, I meant b- besides we besides well, Holes. What I was just gonna say about that? No, I I don't think so. Some of his titles look familiar, so I'm wondering if maybe I read. I think that. There might have been some excerpts written in, like, books that I've read in school, like, maybe in sixth grade. It just vaguely it seems really familiar. I don't yeah. know. But I, Michael and I had this conversation before um, we started reading Holes. Like, I was pretty sure that I had read Holes, but a lot of my memory of the story is actually from the movie that came out because I had seen that a couple times. Um, and then when I was reading this, I started to doubt myself, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that I had read this before now, but yeah. I feel bad that I don't remember for sure.
0: I've read Holes multiple but. times, but I have not read that many other books by Lewis Sacker. I've read the follow-up to Holes, which is called Small Steps, which maybe we could briefly talk about later. Um, and I remember the sideways stories from Wayside School being ubiquitous, like that series. Mm-hmm. Like I remember they were always in libraries, that's but I've never actually think, read any.
1: That's what I am pretty sure that I read an excerpt of those in, um, in my sixth grade literature book. I the, would not swear on it, but I would not be surprised if we did.
0: The first of those, so I'll, I'll fill in from some of my notes. The first of those books, the sideways stories from Wayside School, um, that was his first book published. Right. Um, in way back in the '70s, and it was apparently the kids in it were based on the kids that he yes met at met. the
1: elementary school where he worked. He also said that was his favorite college class. I thought that was sweet.
0: Yeah, because there was no homework, no tests, well, <laughs> no term he also papers. Also
1: enjoyed the kids. Yes. like he enjoyed the
0: kids. His I don't know if you saw this, but his wife was an mm-hmm. elementary school counselor for a long time.
1: Yes, and she was the inspiration for the counselor in his book. There's a boy in the girl's
0: bathroom. I have That's read that. That's a title
1: that I think I might have read, but I don't remember it. I have
0: read well. that a long time ago. I don't have strong memories of it, but yeah. I definitely read it.
1: Yeah, the cover looked really familiar, which makes me think I read it. Yeah. But anyway, you wanna jump into holes? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, jump into holes. Hopefully, there's no yellow spotted lizards in the hole. Um, so anyway, holes. I've read this book multiple times. So hopefully that hopefully this plot synopsis is makes sense. This is also a really well known book. So mm-hmm. I'm banking that at least some of our listeners are already familiar with it. Um, But it's also one of these books like Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. It's not really like Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, but it is like Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry in the sense of there's a lot of different threads that eventually converge at the end. And so it's going to sound a little disjointed. But the main thread is there's this boy named Stanley Yelnats, whose name is a palindrome. Um, And he is walking down the street one day, and this pair of sneakers hits him in the head. And it turns out this pair of sneakers belong to a famous, is he a baseball player? Basketball. Basketball player? A, a famous, a famous sports ball player, and uh, the these these shoes were going to be auctioned for charity to give money to like a youth homeless shelter, and they had been stolen. And so when the the police drive by and see him holding these sneakers, that literally just hit him in the head um, from the sky. They assume that he has stolen it, and he doesn't have a good alibi. And so he's eventually convicted of having stolen these very what valuable the shoes.
1: It is baseball. It
0: is baseball. Yes, okay. I'm sorry. Well, one of those sports yeah. with the ball. Um, so he is sent. His 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 parents have a choice of sending him to juvenile detention or to a like uh, reform camp called Camp Green Lake, which is in the middle of Texas somewhere in the desert. And the opening line of this book is, "There is no lake at Camp Green Lake," which is true. At Camp Green Lake, there's been a drought for like. Decades. Mm-hmm. There's no rain or anything. The only thing that's out here is this camp, um, which is basically like a prison for the boys. Mm-hmm. Like it's uh, and there, it, but it doesn't look like a prison because they don't need like walls and guards and stuff because there's no way to escape because it's a desert. Um, and the thing about this camp is it advertises itself as like we build character in the youths, and. Um, the way that they build character purportedly is by forcing manual labor upon them and manual labor is this absurd pointless task of every day they have to dig a hole that's 5 feet in diameter and 5 feet deep in the desert um which side note this book isn't meant to be like super realistic it's like knowingly like a surreal and absurd at parts but that's a, that is in, a particularly absurd Detail it's very difficult to dig mm-hmm. a five foot deep hole that is five feet wide, especially in the desert in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, Stanley is there, you know um, and uh, he is just having to adjust to life in prison, basically, and part of the life in prison is like adjusting to the hard manual labor, which he gradually like learns like you know the best most efficient ways to dig holes. Um, but also it involves getting to know his other inmates. Um, And there's all these kids, and you don't really learn most of these kids' real names because they all go by nicknames like Armpit or X-Ray. And there's one kid in particular named Zero um, who's really quiet and um, doesn't know how to read, but he's also kind of withdrawn and shy like Stanley. And so they kind of get this camaraderie going. And uh, Stanley starts teaching Zero how to read and Zero helps help uh, starts helping Stanley dig his holes because Zero is like a hole digging savant, um, and put a pin in that. Um, another thread in this book uh, is way 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 back, like several generations back. Stanley Yelnats' family lived in like was it like Lithuania? It's some like European, like fairly obscure European country. Latvia. Latvia. Um, and he, uh, Latvia's in Europe, right? Sure. It's not, it's not in North America, for sure. Um,
1: <laughs> Some exotic place.
0: Yeah. And uh, Stanley keeps thinking back generations ago, because there's this kind of family mythology that the Yelmats are cursed because his great-great-great-great-whoever-grandfather um, had made a deal with like, this magical woman um, where this magical woman was gonna help him grow this amazing pig, so that he could win the heart of this beautiful woman in the village. Uh, in exchange, the guy had like was supposed to carry this woman up the mountain to like drink out of the spring, and uh, he ends up like not doing that, kind of absentmindedly, not fulfilling his bargain. And he hops on a tr- plane, not a plane, uh, he hops on a boat to America, and. Uh, Everything seems to have gone south for the family since then, uh, living in the United States. And they are quite poor, it seems like, at times. You know, they're not exactly destitute, but they're not very successful. And it seems like they're afflicted by bad luck. Uh, so, like, for instance, the family wealth was all stolen by a um, an outlaw named I mean, Kissing Kate Barlow. And then... All sorts of other mishaps have happened to the family, and so they all think it's like because of this pig-stealing great-great-great-grandfather. So there's that. Another thread is, speaking of Kissing Kate Barlow, um, you get these flashbacks to what Camp Green Lake was like. um, When is this supposed to be? Like early 20th century, something like that, uh, where there is actually a lake there, and there's a town... And there's this woman named Catherine or Kate or she, I can't remember what she goes by. She eventually becomes kissing Kate yeah, Barlow. She goes by
1: Catherine Barlow before. She's yeah, and like, oh, she's wow. the
0: school teacher, and um, she befriends this. Uh, she's a white school teacher, and she befriends this black man who's like really handy, and also like loves onions and loves his his donkey, his pet donkey. Um, Mary Lou. Mary Lou. What's the guy's name again? Sam. Sam. That's right, um, and. Uh she kind of stripes up a friendship and eventually like a romance with, with Sam. And it being the early 20th century in Texas, um, that is you know, really enraging to the, you know, kind of white uh, leaders of the town. And so they try to lynch Sam and Kate and him run off together. but they try to cross the lake um, and uh, they catch up with them in the lake. And basically murder them and or murder Sam in the lake, and Kate escapes, but becomes an outlaw in retribution and like curses the town and all this sort of stuff.
1: And her spurned lover, it's his motorized boat that catches them. And that's important because the warden at Camp Green Lake is his great grandmother. Yeah, or so whatever.
0: Yeah, so basically, as you're reading the book, you start discovering like all the backstories of all these Characters and they all are linked um, in their ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out Zero is related to the magical woman that Stanley's great, 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 whoever. Madame Zeroni. Madame Zeroni, yes. Um, you know, way back in the day, uh, he's like the, you know, great, great, great somebody of Madame Zeroni. Grandson. Grandson. And um, so. Eventually what happens is they realize that, I mean, this is totally spoiling the book, and this is a book that you don't really want spoiled if um, you haven't read it yet because it's really fun to kind of put together the pieces. And so um, we're starting to get into the territory where if you've not read this book, you, know, you, you should maybe stop reading or stop listening and go read Holes. Mm-hmm. It's not a long book. Um, but anyway, spoiler tag. Um, it turns out that like they kind of piece together that they're not just digging holes just for, for building character in this kind of like weird abusive way, um, they're actually digging holes because they're searching for the kind of treasure hoard of kissing Kate Barlow, which is reputed to be like have been at the bottom of Camp Green Lake, mm-hmm. um, or somewhere around Camp Green Lake. And so these holes are meant to be, um, like the, the the warden is trying to find the treasure, um, the warden of Camp Green Lake, who is the descendant of the spurned lover of Kate Barlow. Um,
1: whose family? They, she, her family owns all that land because he was very wealthy before the drought. Before
0: the lake was. Before they were cursed for being racist, yes. right? Um, right. But uh, and so once once they find this out, um, things kind of go south, um, and eventually, like Stanley and Zero run away from the camp um, in like a situation that is probably too complicated to be worth explaining mm-hmm. right now but what they, what eventually happens is they like run away across the desert and find refuge in the crash boat of um sam like sam's crash boat uh, and then they're able to cross the desert after like when it turns night and find finds like his like onion patch basically on the other side at and god's thumb. at god's thumb because it's like this mountain that looks like a big old thumbs up and They eat a bunch of onions because they don't have any other food. And in this book, onions are like superfoods and they get like superpowers, not like real superpowers, but basically like they become a lot fitter and, and like more physically able because they're so, um, they're so ripped on onions Mm -hmm. and, uh, eventually go back to the camp and kind of like expose the camp for like being a fraud. Um, and Stanley's dad makes a lot of money um
1: well they find the treasure they, they, they find also find
0: the treasure yeah which and then,
1: belonged to stanley's great-great-grandfather
0: yeah but there's this one part um he it's kind of implied that stanley breaks the curse of his family because um what is it like zero has like passed out from dehydration or uh-huh. something and he carries zero up, the, up ma- the mountain so that he can drink from the the spring and mm-hmm. so like then they find the treasure and everything's good um and so that's the plot of of holes. It's pretty naughty and like complex for a kid's story. But it's not complex in the sense of like what we talked about with Roll of Thunder, Hear mm-hmm. My Cry. It's more just like like a puzzle that you fit mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. it's really fun.
1: Yeah. Um, so I I love this book. It's so good. It's uh, it's just a really good story. It flows really well, and I really like um There are just huge themes of racism and class and friendship and love and loneliness and um, I don't, just so many things that run throughout the book but they don't hit you on the nose. Um, As much as is, is going on with the different stories, the different backstories, everything ties together really well and I like how it goes back and forth and you find out just with like subtle hints of last names like how... Um, who is descendants of who, and why they are, why they are the way that they are, um, and I, I think this book is really funny. Um, it there's this one like little ironic comment that Stanley makes himself about how he's just glad that there are no racial problems at Camp Green Lake, and then um, the whole that everything is based on race and everything that happens, um, you know, even what happens with him and, and Zero is taught with that thing. And so, I don't know. It's just really it's just really good. It's really funny. It's really witty. Um, I'm not... I liked everything about it, honestly. But those are my favorite things. Good. What did you like?
0: I liked those things, too. I hadn't read this book in a long, long time. But... I think I first started when I was maybe 12 or something like that, and I read it multiple times growing up, Um, and returning to it, I was excited to return to it because I remember really liking it, but I was also, you know, it's always kind of like, oh, returning to something that I liked when I was 12 or 13, there's, you're kind of rolling the dice there. Are you going to spoil a good memory by Mm -hmm. realizing like, oh, there's not actually as much uh, that's interesting here that, you know, as I found when I was 12? and. I I did not find that to be the case. Thankfully, this book, this book rocks, mm-hmm. and um, I like it a lot. And I think that it's really smart. I mean, it's it's smart on like that kind of level of, you know, it's like a puzzle and you kind of fit it together, and that's really fun to like fit it together. And like you said, the book doesn't really, it doesn't. It it's surprisingly like for the kind of book that it is. It's surprisingly subtle in how it gives, like, reveals. Like, it, there's not like a bunch of exposition in, in mm-hmm. the traditional sense of like the narrator explaining the solutions to how everything fits together. Like, it's kind of left up to the reader to connect those dots, except for a few examples.
1: And he even says you can just fill in the holes yourself. Like he you literally <laughs> said that. It's so funny.
0: Yeah, um, but also, I think that it's really complex in terms of. Like, like you mentioned, like the themes, um, which we can get into in a second, but um, I don't know. One of the things that I read about when I was reading Lewis Sackler's biography, um, which is on an old version of his website that we had to look back uh, uh, at using the Wayback Machine, but uh, it talks about how in high school he started reading a lot of J.D. Salinger and Kurt Vonnegut, and that was like how he discovered his love for... Literature and reading. And I think that like the Kurt Vonnegut connection makes sense of this book and like how it's written. And like to be honest, like I don't get that impression from the my memories of his other books, including um, small steps like the pseudo-sequel The Holes, mm-hmm. like which are like in my memory, kind of very much in the mode of like traditional, like kind of children's children's like, you know, middle grade fiction, like I don't remember there being anything super special about those. maybe i'm maybe I was just like a little little philistine and and missed like the rich nuances of of it when I was a kid. but like this book is like very knowingly ironic and surreal, and like the narrative voice like is very reminiscent of Kurt Vonnegut where it will just kind of like punctuate scenes like really short scenes with like little bits of like verbal irony or like, just kind of, like, rye observations or things like that. Um, like, you know, the opening line, or, like, the opening, like, chapter in general, where they, he's describing Camp Green Lake, and, like, just the levels of, like, irony and, like, kind of sarcasm, which just, he describes Camp Green Lake. It really, it, it is really reminiscent of Kurt Vonnegut in that way, and I think, like, the mechanics of the book are very much like that as well, where you have this kind of mix of, like, uh, like, uh, fantasy-ish, like in like tinge stuff, like things that are like knowingly unreal, and uh, also things that are like very personal and like kind of emotionally weighted, and like a lot of Kurt Vonnegut, it's also very like socially, like conscious as well, and I don't know, like a lot of that stuff, like like you mentioned that line about there's no racial problems at Camp Green, like but like the the, the existence of Camp Green, like, as a prison for mm-hmm. youth yeah. is a direct result of there having been racial problems. Like, it's just very smart in terms of, like, how it shows that, like, you know, the ways in which this town was unable to reconcile their own prejudices, mm-hmm. like, led to this town becoming a place of, like, incarceration and, like, mm-hmm. overt oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, but while also completely erasing that history, like, you know, there's no... A- like, I don't think the kids ever learn that there was a lynching, basically. Uh, no. And that was, like, the inciting incident for this place becoming eventually, like, a, a youth prison. Um, but, like, the book lets you know that. And, like, it's it, it it's it's really kind of complex, like, how it weaves things together. So, like, for instance, Zero is black and Stanley is white. Um, and when Zero starts helping Stanley dig his holes and Stanley starts helping... Um, uh, Zero learn to read there's like these tensions that build among like the different uh, characters in the book because they immediately scan this as this kind of like paternalistic relationship between Stanley and Zero where like is the white person who is doing like the academic and like quote unquote like smart person stuff and then Zero is doing the the, the manual labor. labor and so they're kind of falling into this kind of racial hierarchy and like their relationship is a lot more complicated than that but the other kids in the book don't really understand that and immediately like you know kind of overlay like a racialized like understanding of that and that's
1: and i and and stanley also justifies what he's doing by letting zero dig those holes like he feels kind of bad about it like oh well you know he's helping me finish my hole and but, but I, I need him to because I would be too tired to help him learn how to read. And so right. I'm really giving him something. Like, you can tell that he's recognizing that the power imbalance, but is not really willing to rectify it yet.
0: Right. And I, I don't know. Like, the book, doesn't, the book doesn't belabor that. Like, it's just mm-hmm. kind of like an offhanded observation. There's maybe, like, one or two chapters that even, like, mention that and it's mm-hmm. kind of gone. But, like, the book does that a lot where it'll kind of, like, drop stuff. And you have to, like, piece it together. Like, for instance, you find out that Zero is homeless. Um, and that his... Uh, he, you, you find out that he was the one who stole the sneakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of indirectly resulted in Stanley's uh, arrest. And, like, Zero's homelessness is something that you learn about him. But is never, like, central to the plot. Because, like, once they're at the prison there is this attempt by the prison to kind of like erase all differences from them. They all wear the same clothes. They Mm -hmm. all do the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. Um, But like what zero, how zero acts and like the things that he does are informed by like his background as like someone who didn't have stable housing. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, again, like I think the book is really smart in doing that, but it also doesn't really beat you over the head with it. And like the mysteries in the book, it leaves that as something that you can connect and is like really rich to kind of think about Mm -hmm. um, while also not really sidetracking the book from its kind of like kind of wry humorous tone in which kind of sprinkling little breadcrumbs around that you Mm -hmm. can collect. And um, I don't know, and it all builds up to the ending, which I think is like really good. Um, I don't know where they're... Crossing the desert. I don't know. There's something about that. Like once Stanley realizes that like the camp is a lie and it's not about building character or reforming kids or anything like that, but it is merely about the enrichment of the people who own mm-hmm. it, which like one, like again, without beating your head about over with it, like that is kind of like the thing about private prisons, right? right that is So exactly. one of the things about private prisons that's really disgusting is it's a method of people to profit off of incarceration and like Camp Green like is that and Stanley realizing that makes like breaks his trust in any of the adults there um, who have already been kind of cruel to begin with. Um, But also it is like kind of the inciting thing that causes him to leave with zero or to, he leaves to rescue zero because zero leaves first and he's worried that zero is going to starve or die of thirst in the desert. Mm -hmm. So he goes to help zero and this like culminates in this kind of parallel passage with his great, great, great grandfather where he's carrying zero up the mountain and like then all the kind of like mythological stuff happens, like it starts raining and like all this stuff. And I again like it's it's fun in the sense of like you can piece that together in terms of like, oh, this is like resolving the plot, and that's really cool. Um, but it's also like really thematically resonant too. Like he's mm-hmm. he is like I mean it's it's not meant to be taken literally in terms of like, you know, he's fixing racial relations, but he is kind of undoing or at least making reparations for a harm that was done in the past that his father did mm-hmm. and it's like I mean that's a kind of that's that's a rich metaphor in terms of like the entire book is about these like power imbalances and the ways in which the things that were done in the past continue to have repara- or repercussions in the mm-hmm. present and him like caring for zero is a way of like, almost atoning for the stuff that happened in the past, even though it wasn't, like, his fault or anything like that, but his act of, like, kindness and, and, and his ability to kind of, like, see Zero as a person rather than, like, Zero is kind of, like, ostracized by the other kids because he's, like, a weirdo or whatever.
1: And the, the counselor.
0: And the counselor, too, yeah. Um,
1: who's really kind to everybody else but just says there's nothing in his brain because he doesn't speak.
0: Right. Oh, and also the camp is willing to do cruel things to Zero because he's a ward of the state, and so there's not going to be anyone to advocate for his well-being. Right. Um,
1: There's no social worker that's interested in him, nothing.
0: Right, and so, like, Stanley's interest in Zero as, like, a friend then, like, becomes this kind of healing, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, fulcrum in the book. And I don't know, like, like, to take that really literally would be kind of, A juvenile way to think about like these kind of like generational problems like just being nice to someone doesn't really fix something in the past but like the book is operating on like this kind of like like I've mentioned like this almost like absurd like surreal level where a lot of the stuff kind of like comes across as like overtly like symbolic or like mythic almost and so Mm -hmm. I think that it kind of works in that sense of like the characters are all kind of like they're all kind of symbolic in a way Mm -hmm. and so like their actions are symbolic too um I don't know I
1: also I just I think it's so great he does all this in a relatively short book you know like this is not a long book right and every I don't know everything is so purposeful and intentional and there's not one piece that I'm like, well, what, the, what was the point of that, you right. know? And it's all very I,
0: compact, too. Like yeah. He has this really terse writing style, which, again, reminds me of Kurt Vonnegut. Like it makes sense that he's a fan of Kurt Vonnegut because Kurt Vonnegut does this thing, you know, where he'll have these really short, compact chapters that are these really precise details that are meant to tell you something about the characters or, the, or their world in, and it's also, like, really enjoyable because telling a joke, but it's contributing meaningfully to the overall, like, tapestry of the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, there, was,
1: there was nothing ahead. I disliked about this book.
0: Me neither. I, I, I do want to keep saying things I liked about it, though, because oh, I do like a lot. I think, like, the characters are really... Like, besides, like, all the kind of, like, bigger, like, you know, thematic significance, I think the characters are all really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for instance... The first person or one of the first people you meet at Camp Green Lake is this guy named Mr. Sir. Mm-hmm. Um and he's just quit smoking. He's like one of yeah. the Is he he's not a counselor. What is his role?
1: I honestly he acts kind of like the warden's assistant. Yeah. Like I, or like kind of I don't know, like the overseer.
0: Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, of almost like he's like a if if it were a um if it were actually like a prison, like we we're, he would be a guard at the yeah. prison, like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Mister Sir, and there's just like all these lovely character details about like all these characters that are just like, I don't know, they're just they're just so well done. Like Mister um, Sir has just quit smoking, so he's constantly um, uh, eating sunflower seeds because that is the only thing that he can do to, like, keep his mind off smoking is mm-hmm. he's got to constantly be eating these sunflower seeds. And so, like, there's all these fun things that happen with that. Like, at one k- time, the kids, like, steal the sunflower seeds. And this, of course, like, leads into something that happens in the plot. But also, like, I don't know. It's just kind of funny how they deal with that. There's also, like, um, a few, like, offhand remarks about how his coworkers liked him better when he was smoking because he wasn't so irritable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's just, like, the his name, Mr. Sir, like, this. Just like kind of like a silly, goofy mm-hmm. thing, um, and like the warden is just this really like arch, like villainous person who puts like rattlesnake venom in her in her nail polish so that when she scratches people, they get really nasty and puffy. Um, only and when it's wet. Yeah, only when it's wet. Um, there's also uh, this kind of invented creature called a yellow spotted lizard that lives in the desert, which is like you you die instantly if you get bitten by one of them, mm. which is um, how
1: Kate Barlow died.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah. that. Um and then there's also the stuff in the past, you know, just these like really colorful characters. Like, there's not actually that many chapters describing uh, like the past of Camp Green, like, but they're so memorable because like Sam is like the onion man who's like like he just tells all these tall tales about onions, you know. Mm. Um and he's got his, his donkey and his mm. donkey's always he's always kind of speaking through his donkey and then the I don't know, like these characters are really vibrant. They're like cartoonish, mm-hmm. but they're so vibrant and interesting that I don't know. It's 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 fun. Like they're 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 cartoonish in a fun way, and there's always something going on. They're not one dimensionally cartoonish either. They always have like layers of motives and conflicts and Just that like sort
1: of thing. Like a good onion.
0: It's got layers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's got layers. Um, I don't
1: know. I. I also love all the stuff about onions and peaches. Like everything comes back to onions and peaches, and right. So.
0: Because is it Kate, Kate has the Kate peach preserves? Cans,
1: she canned spiced peaches. She's famous for those, and then Sam is famous for his magical onions, and um, that is what Zero survives off of. Is what he calls sploosh. He Which finds is... these canned peaches and onions. But the ones that he could open easily, it's because they weren't sealed very well. So anyway, I'm, I'm getting a little bit
0: yeah. overcomplicated. it is very gross. It's like yeah. decades old canned peaches that were at the bottom of the lake because they were on the boat that um, yeah. Sam was in. And, and then
1: one thing that we didn't say is that Stanley's dad is trying to, um, like... He's an inventor. Yeah. And a he's, failed inventor, mostly. Yes, and he's trying to figure out what how to, like, recycle old sneakers. But after, um, after Stanley carries Zero up the mountain, um, he discovers a cure for foot fungus, which involves peaches,
0: like, I don't know,
1: everything, everything, like, there's no detail that doesn't connect in it, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a very, it's just very satisfying on a literary level, because everything connects, like, there's like that like English teacher brain like, just just is very satisfying on that yeah. uh, on that metric and like, I was too old when this book came out to have this assigned to me to read but like I do know that this book is assigned a lot in like, you know the middle middle grades and it makes sense why it is because it is like, it's a great book for introducing all these literary devices like metaphor, and like, characterization and stuff. Like, I can see, like, as an English teacher, I'm like, oh, I would love teaching this book because not only is it fun and engaging, but it's, like, one of these books where the the plot and the way it is written really lends itself to teaching certain concepts. This is kind of a rabbit trail, but one thing people don't really think about a lot is these, like, commonly assigned books. A lot of the ones that remain commonly assigned and are popular to teach... It's not just because what the book's about. It's that those these books lend themselves to teach things easily. Like, The Scarlet Letter remains in, like, heavy circulation mm-hmm. because the it is so focused around, like, symbolism. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for, like, The Great Gatsby or yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. And, like, these are books, like, they're not just popular because of their content. They're also popular because teachers can easily pull out, like, examples of literary devices from them. And, like, I think Holes... Is another example of this kind of book where, yeah. it, it really presents itself as a book that you can you can teach, and that makes it sound like, I don't know. I know, I know that like, if I were to hear someone describe like this would be a perfect book to assign to students to read because it would mm-hmm. be so enriching. Like that makes that's kind of a turnoff to me, <laughs> but I don't mean it as such. I'm this is my sick educator brain, you know, where I have to think about <laughs> things like this. Um, But it is a delightful book, regardless of whether you're assigned to read it or not.
1: Yeah. I also... um, There's something very sweet and tragic in, like, why his family agrees to send him to Camp Green Lake. They say... We had, like, he's like, my, my family never had enough money to send me to camp, so we'll pretend like we're those rich people that get to go to camp. Yeah, and he fun. sends
0: letters back to his parents, like, lying about his experiences yeah. at Camp Green Lake
1: because yeah. he doesn't
0: want them to feel bad for sending him there.
1: I don't know. It's just, it, the book is, is just really good.
0: Yeah, it's very poignant at parts. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so you didn't like, you didn't dislike a thing about it? I
1: can't think of a thing that I... Would change or or wished was different. Mm-mm. That's the first time. Yeah, I don't. That both of us are.
0: I yeah, I don't know. It would, it would be ex. I would. It would have to be extremely nitpicky. I I don't have something off the top so of my head. So let's not. Let's just it. Yeah. leave it and
1: it's. It's just this pure pristine
0: state. Pure thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: It's good. Everyone. It's also
1: Michael Stad's favorite Newberry winner that you he's know, read. Right. You know
0: of the ones we've read for this podcast. This might be my favorite. I don't far think too. I'm
1: gonna. I I just can't. I enjoy different books for so many different things and experiences. I've decided I'm not gonna name my favorite one okay. because I'm just not gonna do that.
0: Well, while Rebecca takes the high road, I'm gonna. I'm take, not, it's
1: not a high road. It's a noncommittal
0: road. It's the you you appreciate literature for its innate qualities, not its qualities in relation to well, other there's things.
1: Also, like I. I don't know. I've also. This. I feel like this book is your up road slowly. You know, you've read <laughs> it so many times, it's easy to be like, this is my favorite. And I've read that one so many I don't know. I just. I've read
0: A Wrinkle in Time a lot, too, which probably prior to the
1: series. I this think this series, is a better book than Probably
0: prior time. to reading the series, I would have said A Wrinkle in Time was my favorite. But the thing about this book compared to A Wrinkle in Time is. A wrinkle in Time doesn't try to be as tidy as this book. This yeah. book is extremely tidy, you know, yeah. where everything wraps, like we talked about, everything wraps back into itself. So that's it's the kind of book that it's hard to point out flaws in it. Whereas A Wrinkle in right. Time, as we talked about um, you know, back in our second episode, it's like a very messy, intentionally like ridiculously ambitious book. You know, it's about but the fabric of the it. universe itself. And, it's and, we're and
1: I do not say anything negative about I'm I do just love saying it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say a favorite, but This definitely gets two thumbs
0: up. So Rebecca's like the really amazing parent who loves all her children equally, whereas I am the parent who's going to say I love holes the best. Um, I do still really love *A Wrinkle in Time*, but I think upon revisiting both, I just, I just, I just really like the the precision of this book. book. It's great. It's really excellent.
1: You should read it. Sorry that it took us so long to get this episode out as well.
0: Yeah, this is our first for real like uh, um, getting off schedule because we've been trying yeah. to do once every two weeks and it simply was not... Our lives made it impossible to... Yeah. We've, we both finished reading this book probably at least a week ago, right?
1: Yeah, it's just... But even then we were... Anyway, We're we're going to try our best to get back on track, but we can't promise anything. But our next book is one that I've read before and Michael has not. Um, I have very fond memories of reading this book. It's Kate DiCamillo's Tale of Despereaux. Uh, tale of
0: Despereaux. No, it's because not. Because he's French.
1: It's the Needle. 2004 winner. Um, this is not, in my opinion, it is not the best Kate Camelo book.
0: Rebecca's a Because I've of Winn-Dixie partisan. Well,
1: I should say not the best that I've read because I've not read all of hers. But I do love, dearly, dearly love Because of Winn-Dixie that did not win. Anyway, we'll get there. Um, this book, I remember being really fun, so hope you like it, Michael.
0: It's about a mouse, right? Yeah. Is it about his tail, or is it a story about a mouse?
1: What do you mean? Oh, T-A-I-L. a tale about a mouse? But, um, anyway, um, thanks for listening.
0: Yeah, that's it. Uh, hopefully we'll see uh, release another one in two weeks. But don't hold us to that. Um, anyway, this has been the Newberry Chronicles. Signing off.